It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh It's Marissa Carpico, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I am here with Matt Taylor. Hey, say hello, Matt. Hey, guys. Um, and we are back yet again to talk Oscars and awards and certain, you know, certain actresses. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and what they can do to get an Oscar. But uh, we're going to talk about a couple new releases. There haven't been a ton, so we're eventually going to end up talking about Jennifer Garner. But let's start with... Um, couple movies one of us has seen or both of us have seen um one of them is definitely going to be Suspiria but you're going to have to wait for that because we're just going to fawn over that for a bit um but let's start with uh Bohemian Rhapsody you were going to write about it for the site Matt but then didn't end up having time um I saw it last night and didn't didn't um I I had a lot of feelings but I want to hear what your feelings were um, yeah, I didn't get to see it yet. Oh, I thought you had for some reason. No, no, my, I, I had planned to see it on Friday, it ended up falling through, oh. and it ended up, like, I, t- I took it as a, like, a sign, because yeah. I was really feeling, like, some sort of, like, moral conflictions about it, because I had broken my own rule and read a lot of reviews of the film, yeah. um, before going, and, like, the way they treat his AIDS and his queerness really just didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, I don't know if I want to like sit through this two and a half hour movie just to like be upset. So I was like, when my plans fell through, I'm like, this is a sign. Don't go. Yeah, totally. Um, well, all right. Well, then I'll talk about it. Um, we have a, a review up on the website from Matt Gilbert. Um, he definitely didn't like it. And I, I mostly feel the same. Um, as everyone and him uh, about it not being very good, uh, it's it's I, it's almost like the most problematic movie that could exist in some ways. Um, like Brian Singer is the director, and he's got years of rumors of scandals that have been chasing around, chasing him around, and and there was a lot of strange shit that happened on this movie too. Um, and it it's it's weird because it's. It's got a really good performance from Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury. For those who don't know, it's like a biopic of Freddie Mercury and, and the band Queen. Um, and Rami Malek is really, really good as Freddie Mercury. And the performance sections are, like, incredible. Um, I go to a lot of concerts, and, like, I've, I don't, I've rarely seen anything capture what it's like to be in that sort of, like, church-like worshipfulness of a, of a, of a concert. Um... And it recreates the last twenty minutes is just a recreation of the of Queen's Live Aid um, set uh, in nineteen eighty five, um, and it's great. Uh, that's all great, but the the what it's telling is awful. Like the the other band, the surviving band members have a lot to do with the production, and I don't know what they thought they were doing, but they come off as a bunch of like mildly homophobic squares in the movie. And uh, the whole movie's a little teensy bit slash really pretty homophobic. I mean, I don't know. It's He's basically, like, punished. Freddie Mercury's character is basically punished for being gay. And they change a lot of storyline or, like, actual events, the, the dates of them, to sort of, like, 
create that narrative. Like, I think he like he finds out he has AIDS after Live Aid, but in this he finds out before. So it's like, so yeah, it's really problematic. Um, not to plug another site and another writer, but I did work with him at Us Weekly <laughs> back in the day. Um, but Kevin Fallon of, of Daily Beast has a, has a wonderful review of it, or like essay on it that's that basically sort of unpacks all that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I, there's things that are really good about it, but it's not, it's not good. And it's like, it doesn't actually dig into anything. Like it covers so much time and, and covers so many subjects like Mer- Mercury and each of the guys. Um, but it doesn't do it in a like terribly in-depth way or, or, and Matt Gilbert touches on this in his review a lot. It's really conventional. Um, which is bizarre for a band and a and a, like a lead singer who were deeply unconventional. So I don't know. It's just a mess. And it also feels like I'm shocked studios are still doing conventional music biopics in like a world after Walk Hard. Yeah, which is like I mean that movie flopped, granted, but like it is the perfect spoof of musical biopics. I think that movie's brilliant. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I think about that scene where he breaks like four sinks in a row all the time. As this joke on, on you know, um, Joaquin Phoenix doing it in that in, <laughs> in that movie. It's like, it's such a, it's such a thing. But like, and, well, and the thing is, is I, I talk to people who aren't like big film fans and they, they, they thought it was really fun. So I, I it clearly works for some people. Um, my, my parents are like obsessed with it. And oh, I'm sure. Yeah. My mom is like, like like singing the high praises about it and then it was funny because I was like oh it got really bad reviews and she was like how could it it's Freddie Mercury and I'm like I think that's a lot of people are approaching it of like you know Queen is so good where it's like how could their movie be bad yeah so it's interesting well I that, I, I, and she's I'll tell you she's kind of not wrong I mean like <laughs> the things that work about it are how good those those songs are and and how interesting it is to like dive in what it was probably like to actually make them um Granted, you know it's a it's a perspective that's really like excluding Mercury's uh, you know own authorship in it. But you 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 seem to th- like they make it seem like it's a big collective sort of experience of making these songs, and it, it's really thrilling in in the scenes that that it happens. And and like some of the the filming techniques are really clever during that. Like the editing is really quick and sharp and. Um, the sound work is really good. Like, man, they turn up the sound like you would not believe. It, like, rattles your bones um, when whenever they're performing. So it's, like, really electric. And Rami Malek is so good, like, at recreating what made Mercury such, like, a compelling stage performer um, that, like, you can forget a lot of it. But then anytime it goes into the story stuff, it's like, Jesus Christ, this is so bad. Like, there's this sort of villain character who again, is a real person who I, I can't, I mean, he must be, I haven't, I guess I haven't looked up if he's dead or not, but he better be or else he, he should choose to sue the shit out of them. Um, but he was like, uh, they're like manager type for many years. And they sort of imply that he like corrupts Freddie Mercury and is eventually the reason that he like becomes a, you know, gets AIDS and it's this whole thing. I don't know. It's, it's shockingly regressive in this time like in 2018 but also like perfectly expressive of the time we live in of like both a celebration of of otherness and and a condemnation of it you know and it's funny because brian singer is um bisexual so it's like yeah 
that he took this lens. I mean, Ratzinger's a very horrible person. Like, right. As like the, like a statement of like he's a terrible human being. Yeah. But um, it's a sort of thing where it's like I'm shocked that as a queer person he didn't like depict it fairly. And also from all accounts, like even the way he developed into his bisexuality like mm-hmm. that's not true to freddie mercury like yeah. it's like that's not the story of how he came into himself oh so there's just... there's a scene that i i when i was watching it, i was like matt would burst into flames like it's so bad it, i oh i was like this is torture i can't believe it's this is in this film where he's married to lucy boynton's character um or i guess they're, i don't know if they're married they never show it on screen which is the whole problem with the film is that it like talks about these emotional moments and then never follows through on like what actually happened like I never know what year it is in a way even though there are title cards that tell me what year it is um but she he's he's like they're listening to him perform or like an audience um sing back the song he wrote for her on tv and he's like I have to tell you something and she's like I know I've known for a long time and he goes I'm bisexual and she's like no you're not you're gay and he's oh <laughs> and like that's her line and then that scene sort of plays out and then like he never he doesn't really argue back and then it I don't it's unclear if he agrees I don't it's completely bizarre but I was like well that's some erasure right there isn't it my god it's like gross. what the fuck is this I couldn't believe it I was shocked by it um I figured based on the trailer what they would do was, which is a very annoying trope, is mm. that like he was straight because that the woman who Lucy Wood is playing, his name I, I forget, is like a very key figure in his life. Yeah. But like that he'd be straight, but like with a fetish for dudes, and I was like, that's what I was expecting, and that sounds so much worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it is almost that, but they like make it. They, it's not even like subtly t- subtextual. It's like full on text. They're like, this is just a corrupting like. She's the woman, the love of his life, and they say that to each other forty-five times. They're like, "That he's the love of my, you're the love of my life. She's the love of my life." Like, it's this idea of like, if he could have just stuck with that straight thing, it would have worked out for him. It's so fucking weird. Even though they like, um, his the Freddie Mercury's eventual partner, who, who was his partner when he eventually passed, like Tim what Hutton, uh, or J- <laughs> that's Timothy Hutton, Jim Hutton. <laughs> Uh, it's so annoying I kept doing it um Jim Hutton like is a figure in the in the movie and sort of like this like a golden idea of the man who who he'll eventually end up with when he learns to love himself which is after he gets AIDS but like it's bizarre I I don't and, and I I it the Lucy Boynton's character's name is Mary Austin by the way um the th- it's annoying because like I like so many people in it I like Lucy Boynton she's so wonderful and like does a lot with what is a shit role um, and a lot of bad haircuts, which are really just about the time period they're recreating. Um, and Rami Malek is so fucking good that, like, it's such a waste of good things, the whole movie. I, it's just, a, it's awful. I really wish I had, had a, some other movie had been available to me to watch last night. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you should see it. Is the to get nominated? Well, I I didn't think so, um, but I was reading, um, I was just sort of looking around on, online last night, and there was an Academy screening, uh, I think last night. Um, like, for the Academy, they, they get, they you know, they, they get to have special screenings where it's just Academy members, they can go to a little theater in LA and, and watch it. And apparently Rami Malek got a standing ovation after it. So, uh, they... 
there's a possibility that he could get a nomination for actor. Uh, but it's a really strong year, I think, in people's minds. Um, so I don't know. And the movie, but like, often an actor can get attention without a movie getting attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's a possibility. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily argue with it, but it would be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a good performance, but it, Jesus Christ, like, oof, we gotta, we gotta do better, everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like him a lot. So I am, on some level, happy for him. Yeah, that he has this part. But I'm just like, ugh, like I, I really wish we got a better movie. Yeah. and I also wish we would just stop with conventional music by ethics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hope that um, that Elton John thing is is as crazy as it looks in the trailers. You know what I mean? Yeah, that movie looks weird, but I was like, I'm into this. Yeah. This looks actually interesting, and hopefully it won't be gross in the way it depicts queerness. Right. Uh, it's got Taron Edgerton in it and and um, Bryce Dallas Howard, so I, I feel very specifically targeted by that film. <laughs> She's playing his mom, which is bizarre. I'm so fucking offended, I cannot even, but like... I, You're like the same me. I know. <laughs> to- she she does look younger than she actually is, but like it's it's a it's deeply offensive to me because yeah. like I, the first time I saw her, I was like a senior in high school, and I was like, "Woo, look at her! She's great. She's gonna go places." Um, and I just never would have imagined the places she would go. Anyway, <laughs> it was a lady in the water. It, it did her in, even though. This is a t- comment for another day, but Lady in the Water is a good movie, if you ask me. So, I, you know. listen, when I saw Lady in the Water as a kid, and I stand by this, I thought it was one of the best movies I'd ever seen in my lifetime. I have not seen it since, so I cannot say if it holds up, but when I saw it originally, I thought it was incredible. So, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's for children, and we all maybe should give it a break. You know what I mean? We can, we can return to this after the Oscars. We'll have to have a conversation. About this yeah, I should have prepared more so that we could talk about Bryce and Jennifer Garner today. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, the, the next movie I want to talk about is something you've seen and that I wish I could have seen yesterday, but the um, times did not work out. Uh, Boy Erased. Um, yes. you, you reviewed it for the site. You got to see an early screening. Um, New York Film Society. Yes, exactly. Um, what did you think about it? How, how does it compare to the other boy film this year? <laughs> <laughs> All the boy films this year. Um, and then Ben is Back does not have boy in the title, but it basically should have. It should. Ben is Back the boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Ben is Back. <laughs> um, so Boy Erased, for those who don't know, is based on a memoir um, by a man named Jared Connolly, I, I, I believe is his last name. And he um, is a survivor of conversion therapy. He, he was outed when he was in co- a freshman in college to his parents, including his pastor father. And um, he was kind of shoved off into this um, conversion therapy center. Um, For those who don't know what conversion therapy is, it is this really terrible system that is legal in 36 states at the moment um, where LGBT people, particularly kids, but that's not um, necessarily true, are sent and mentally attacked basically over and over again in order to like find out what the root of their queerness is and in an attempt to make them become straight and obviously it fails it leads mostly to suicide um or some other terrible path and um yeah it's a very underexplored issue i think like i don't know maybe that's just my 
improv, I feel like a lot of people don't know that it goes on or that um, there's like a, there are legal fights going on to make it illegal everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's not the first movie to be about conversion therapy. Like, just this year alone, we had another film about it. But it's definitely, I would say, the biggest film about conversion therapy so far. I mean, it has Hollywood stars, and it's getting this big Oscar season treatment. Um, and it, it's an interesting film. Like, I really had complicated emotions leaving the theater because on a purely standard level, it's a very effective movie. Like, it does its job. It's, mm-hmm. like, a compelling story. Lucas Hedges plays the main protagonist. All the names were changed for the movie, so, like, he's playing someone named um, Garrett, I think. Mm. And um, he, he... Lucas Hedges is just so good in it. I think he's a phenomenal young actor. I know right now Timmy's, like, the internet's boyfriend, Timothy Chalamet, but I think Lucas Hedges is just as talented in a very different way. He, I think he's, at the very least, he is your internet boyfriend, and, and I appreciate it. He's my that. internet boyfriend, yes. He's the reason I saw Mid-90s. <laughs> Um, but um, it's interesting because I think he's such a good actor at playing um, teenagers because usually when actors play teenagers and they're not teenagers themselves, they are just playing adults who are like, will occasionally say they're in high school. Yeah. And with Lucas Hedges, it's like, he's so good at reminding you that like his character is this confused teenager. Like he, that's, I, I watched Lady Bird last night again. And his big scene in Lady Bird is a, a perfect example of someone just suddenly like making you realize, well, this is like a confused kid. And then that's basically his whole performance in this movie is just like you feeling so bad for him. And then Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe play his parents, and they're both really wonderful. Um, I was particularly impressed with Russell Crowe, I think more because he's done so little in the past five years. Yeah. Um, but like they're both really, really great as his parents. They make the character so complicated and... I don't think a lot of that is, is there on the page, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, so they really bring a lot to their parts. Um, but my one thing that really does hang over the movie is that there's a conversation going on everywhere in Hollywood right now about like who gets to tell queer stories and queer narratives. Um, like, Should a straight director be able to direct a film about LGBT people? Should straight actors play um, gay characters? And... I, I don't think there are any easy answers to those questions. I think the main issue is more about getting gay actors and gay directors seats at the table rather than just, like, the discussion of who gets to tell stories. And, like, I mean, Moonlight's probably the best LGBT film to date, or at least the most important. Mm. And that's directed by a straight man. And then Brooklyn Mountains is directed by a straight person. And, like, all these... And, like, they're really great examples of queer films. But with Boy Erased, which is directed by Joel Edgerton, who's straight, and he's also in the film... And I'm a, I'm a huge Legend fan as an actor. Um, he, I just, I couldn't help but think the whole time that he's making this movie where, like, his narrative is like, look at how terrible these things are. Like, these are people. They shouldn't be treated this way. And it's like, watching it as a queer person, my main takeaway was like, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. like, I don't need to be persuaded that this is terrible. And... I think he does a fine job. Like, he makes this an issues movie, and that's really, really good. But, like, I just couldn't help but think that if a queer person was behind the camera this, it could have been, like, this incredibly emotional experience about, like, the internal experience of going through conversion therapy. And instead, it was just this movie that was, like, a very basic by-the-numbers, like, 
this is a bad thing. We should do something about this. And then I even just in little ways, it's like um, Lucas Hedges' character in the film has very few positive, intimate experiences with men. Mm. Um, the one remotely sensual scene between him and a man is like very chaste. And then there is, um, I don't want to get into spoilers, but like a scene of sexual violence that is very explicit. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like, there's nothing wrong with showing it in this light, but it just like, it's very telling that a straight person directed the film yeah. where like one thing is handled so um, obliquely. Yeah, right. yeah. And then the other scene is handled in this way where it's like super PG-13 and like clean and and, perp- and like digestible for straight audiences. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. Like I, I have no ill will towards Joel Edgerton. I think he was acting with the best of intentions and he also has a, a small part of them and he's very good at it. But um, I did wonder if like, just like what could have been. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen it, so I can't say obviously. But how did, how does it like? I don't know. It, that's the thing of like that why why does it always have to be the like the trauma in that narrative that always has to be shown like like obviously it's only like it's it's about the trauma but also why 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 do we need this anymore like we're living trauma every day i you, you know what i mean like can we yeah. like it would be more productive at this point to see even in a story story like this like actual like like a love scene that's actually positive I, I don't know like all of yeah. this just like sure it's going to educate people who don't know about it but like those people probably aren't going to see this movie anyway do, do you know what that i'm saying was the main thing i was like like this is actually it's actually funny you say that the, i saw it in an early screening like you mentioned yeah obviously it was in new york it, and i feel like if you are to subscribing to a membership anyway at a film society in new york city you're probably leaning liberal yeah <laughs> and um there were moments in the film about, like, that showing the conversion therapy where people, like, kind of laughed because on paper, I think, if mm-hmm. you're already so exposed to, like, queer people or you are queer yourself, like, mm-hmm. those things seem kind of silly, like, mm-hmm. what they make them do. Like, a lot of it's about masculinity where it's, like, or conventional masculinity of, like, standing up a certain way or, yeah. like, being able to play sports well. Yeah. And, at least on paper, I could understand how that could sound silly to people. But I was like, these aren't meant to be funny moments. And I was like, if they're playing this way with people for whatever reason, I think it's inappropriate to laugh at those scenes. But mm-hmm. like, it's like, like if it's playing this way to some people, like, will anybody that's watching this film walk away from it persuaded? Like, that's, that was my yeah. main takeaway. And then also back to what you said about trauma, like, it would have been like... This is not a. I guess it's not a spoiler because it is this person's real life, and I mean he wrote the memoir that inspired the book. Yeah. Eventually, this character that Lucas Hedge is playing leaves therapy. He marries a man. Like he's like living this conventional life. But it was just so telling to me that like his husband is like I don't think ever shown fully in the frame and is never named in the film. Mm. And like it's this sort of just thing of like his sexuality is entirely defined in the film by the conversion therapy and nothing else. Yeah. And I just wish like that would have been changed but it's the same at the same time i'm very happy this movie exists yeah and like it's it's effective in what it's trying to do i just kind of think this is a story this is a story that a queer director would have been able to do better yeah no that's interesting i mean it's like you're right people will see it because like nicole and and lucas hedges have 
such Nicole as if I know her. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Lucas. Yeah, I wish. Uh, and Lucas had just have such like um, heat on them right now because they're they're doing such good work for the last couple of years. Um, that you're right. Total people will totally see it, but it it does just seem like unfortunate that like these are the only stories we can we can go to the theater and see or like just like downfalls and tragedies and like awful things. I, I don't, I, I just, yeah. I don't know. It's just, and that's why I really celebrated calling by her name so much last year. And why I get yeah. so frustrated when people dismiss it because that movie, which is directed by a queer person. Yeah. It's so like just purely romantic in a way that we never get to see Yeah, um, with gay people. And then on top of that, it doesn't ignore homophobia. Like, there's no. a lot of factors, that play, but it's never the forefront, and it's more about internalized homophobia, yeah. and that I thought was brilliant. And yeah. that movie, I think, is, like, the standard of what we should want from queer romance, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's We're going to talk about his follow-up soon. But, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I wish there were more... Even Moonlight, which has dark shit in it, but is also about, like, self-discovery, and honestly has, I think, the most romantic scene I've seen in a film in the last 10 years and I kept saying that when it came out I was like guys it has the most romantic scene I've ever seen in a film <laughs> like what are you but doing that movie is also like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like I just wish that could be more the thing we get and and I don't know just it's the la- like Bohemian Rhapsody and that are just so that old mode and it's so frustrating to be still stuck in that old mode I just wish we weren't um, but speaking of Lucas Hedges and uncomfortable laughter um, <laughs> I saw mid-90s yesterday, you've seen mid-90s, um, and I, I was surprised by how much, like, it's such a story about trauma and, like, family abuse that I was confused by what a rollicking comedy my, my audience seemed to think it was. Oh, yeah, I have a lot to say about that, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear about it, because I, I just, I have other things to say, but I'm sure you have more, like, complex thoughts, because I was, I was, like, movie two of, a, of three after an eight-hour workday yesterday, so. <laughs> it's, it's, like, that movie, I mean, is so baffling to me, like, I don't know, yeah. like, like, what you thought walking out, but my thought was, like, what did I watch? Like, it felt like I watched half a movie, like, yeah. to, um, my big takeaway with it, and like my biggest problem with the film, which I got into with somebody on Letterboxd, um, in the comment section. I like, saw that. And he hadn't even seen it, by the way, which was very obnoxious. It was just interesting because, for me, my big takeaway with the movie is that I think it has three really brilliant scenes in it, and yeah. I think Jonah Hill is, like, a gifted filmmaker, surprisingly. Yeah. But, um, it's like he's telling this coming-of-age story, and he's showing these young skaters who um, are trying to figure out their place in the world and they're doing quote unquote bad things and like the film's message seems to be like oh like this is what growing up is like like you do shitty things because you're a kid mm-hmm. and Lady Bird did that really well last year where it's like Lady Bird's unlikable at points but you realize that it's part of her growing up process but the things these kids do are like genuinely really bad things that are not like universal coming-of-age experiences. Yeah. And my main takeaway walking away from it was I'm like, did I either have a very, like, sanitized upbringing or, like, is this, like, what more people are having? Because, like, for example, the kid, these kids use slurs, particularly gay slurs, yeah. very, very often. Yeah. And I have no problem with those words being used in the film if the message of the film is very clearly, like, 
it's not good to say those words. It is part of growing up, sure. Yeah. I lived through the 90s as well. I know it was frequently said. But, like, like the movie just kind of like, oh, LOL, like, these kids are, like, like cute and weird and, like, say, mm-hmm. and say dumb shit. And, like, my audience would laugh hysterically every time they said a slur about gay people. And I'm like, none of this is remotely funny. Like, yeah. it's like, this is all really gross. And I was getting, like, frustrated with the laughter. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's very queasy-making. I mean, I definitely grew up in the exact um, milieu that it's trying to create, like, mid-'90s uh, California, Southern California skate culture. Like, I had oh, those friends. California, so you, you yeah. definitely probably related to No, that. this is exactly the, the milieu I grew up in. I mean, I had a friend who like, literally impaled himself on a palm frond through the leg. Like, the thing went through his leg when we were kids. Like, on a skateboard, in a skateboarding accident. And, like, I still wear tons of skateboard shit. Like, I honestly, my own human breasts have not gotten gotten me as much male attention as the skateboarding gear that I wear on the weekend. <laughs> uh, this is true. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I don't know. It was, um, the odd thing about it is that he tried very hard to create... A, a a sort of atmosphere that should seem very familiar to me, especially and like to many people who grew up at that time period. Um, but it all felt really hard, like try hard and false. Like none of it felt lived in, which is bizarre. It all felt like a bizarre little performance of what it used to be like to grow up during that time. Um, in, with with all the racial slurs and shit, or not racial, but well, some some slurs, yeah, yeah slurs slurs of every kind, um, yeah. included like the the way everything they say was something we all said as kids, which but we we've learned it's wrong and like or it's the times have changed and it's like we can't say shit like that anymore and like saying that shit now is not like daring or like even in even if it's not meant to be daring it's not even if it's just like recreation of a time like who needs that time that time is why we are living in a shithole do you know what i mean like that mentality of these little shitheads and like not caring about shit and like making fun of those girls who are just as valid as human beings as these little assholes are like talk about that um party scene yeah absolutely like this is the thing is like there's a point point later where like the older the oldest kid um the one who doesn't have a nickname like says oh we should mention by the way this is about like california skate kids in the mid mid 90s um like just dicking around yeah that's the plot um but like yeah like he says to to the the lead character at one point like you're we all have our issues but like their issues are are issues certainly, but like they really aren't acknowledging the issues of everyone else. Like the mother, they barely give a shit about. Um, and Catherine Watterson is so good in every scene. Holy shit, she's so good! I want to see that movie. I want to see the movie about that woman and she raising. So, like what a horribly written character. Oh, but she's movie. so good, and the fashion is really good. Like that's the only thing that felt real was her fashion choices. Mm-hmm. Everything else was like. I don't see enough Spitfire gear. Where is it? Um, all of the fucking skate gear was off. It was a little off. I, I don't know who they got to do the costuming, but they sh- they sh- should be smacked in the face because it none of that is what those kids is wearing. Well, some of it is, but most of it isn't. It's That's the stuff the adults were wearing. It's not what the kids were wearing. They were wearing big, dumb brands. Get over it. So annoying. <laughs> like, 
I have so many issues. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's like those kids, they, he says to him, like, oh, everybody's got their thing. But it's like, yeah, what about those fucking girls you all, like, you all just, like, fucking don't give a shit about? Like, those girls were also my friends. And they, they had very complex lives. And guess what? Their lives grew up to be worse than yours. You'll all be fine because you're boys. Like, so you were rich. Yeah. You have options. All of them are, like, traditionally, for the most part, masculine boys who, or at least can pass as so. So, like, they're going to be fine. And you know what? They grew up to be assholes, and they are still assholes. And if they think they're not assholes, they're the kind of guys who say to me, well, well, not all men for the last two years. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have time. I was living in a film where I was like, if I ever go on a date with someone, a guy, who says, like, I really related to that movie. I'm walking out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cause, because I just think if you relate to those kids, I'm kind of like, how? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's, it's, there are so many just unlikable. And it's like, and without spoiling the ending, like, what are those kids that something in the final third that is like really, really, really bad and gets someone hurt mm-hmm. and no one holds them in any way accountable? Like, yeah. it's like, like, the mom of the main kid is, like, in that last scene with him and doesn't even care about yeah. it. And I'm like, or, like, there's no legal process. And I'm kind of like, I'm like, what, like, these kids just, like, getting written off and, like, not getting in trouble because they're kids. But yeah. it's, like, this sort of boys being boy mentality is, like, very problematic today. So yeah. I'm like, how did this happen? I also, I really hated the, there's a scene in the film, for those who haven't seen it, where the main kid has, like, his first sexual experience, which is a weirdly explicit moment that I was... I couldn't believe it kept going. I was like, when is this going to cut? This is not good for me to... I don't want to see this. Yeah, I was sitting there, I'm like, is this, like, legal? Like, it was was such a weirdly graphic moment that I'm surprised no one's talking about. And then what was even worse about it was, like, he's hooking up with an older girl, Mm -hmm. but the girl's, like, at most 16 and is, like based on the dialogue, like, a sexual pro, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is such a, a guy, like, fantasy thing, of, like, they're high school students, like, in, in no world did this ever happen to anybody, like, it's like, this is such, like, a, a silly, like, masturbatory, um, Well, I'm gonna argue back on that, because, again, I was a kid who grew up in that, that area, and let me tell you, my friends were doing some bad shit, um, <laughs> of the sexual variety at that time period, so... I, I get, but I will say we were not, we were not normal, normal kids. <laughs> like, and it's, even if it is a, a, an accurate depiction, it's not necessarily one I need to dig into on screen. Do you know what I mean? Especially with a character who, like, has no backstory other than that, and yeah. then we have to sit through a very uncomfortable scene. Right, and, and, the, and the kid, the main kid is 13 in that, which is, like, Again, not to put my friends on blast, but like not 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 that far from the age we all would have been. Um, actually, no, he would have been the age. Um, like, but <laughs> it's just I don't need to see it. Like when I was a thirteen-year-old, it was fine or what? Like I could deal with it, but I don't need to see it recreated for me on screen with a thirteen-year-old today. I just don't need to see it. No, uh, it's it's very strange. And also, just one other thing that I thought was very perplexing about it is that like. It has some really dark stuff in it, like the main kid's self-harm. Yeah. He has a abusive relationship with his um, brother, played by Lucas Hedges. Yeah. Uh, Lucas um, Hedges' character is, and is like clearly supposed, is implied at one point, 
or actually I explicitly said that like you know he is his, his aggression comes from whatever sexuality he's repressing but that's not even like delved into in any no. sense it's just like it's like casually dropped yeah. and then same with the kids self-harm like it's and like it's not even like it's like brutal and weird self-harm it's not even like a quick scene of him like cutting himself it's like really nasty shit and i'm like you're not gonna go into this at all it's just gonna be like a quirky thing you put in your movie and then, like, move on to, like, the fun scene of them skateboarding with, like, ska in the background. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, bizarrely unexamined, like, s- emotional beats, uh, while also totally being about this kid's, like, emotional life. But I don't know, it's weird. It, like, it, it, you're right, the, the self-mutilation stuff is pretty extreme, considering, like, what he realistically would have been used to would have been you know, uh, cutting himself with a scissor or something, realistically. There was one shot of, like, that was, like, genuinely deeply disturbing, and I was like... Oh, yeah, I know. People in my... I know what you're talking about. People in my audience were gasping when that started, yeah. and then some woman kept being like, oh, no, oh, no, like, audibly. It's gross, yeah. yeah. It's... it's I, I don't get what he's going for. Yeah. Since we mentioned him, I thought Lucas Hedges was very good, too. Yeah. But um, playing, again, a part that is, like... Very underwritten that he at least brings things to, yeah. but it's it's such a weird movie. It's messy and not very good. And honestly, like again, I I reject any attempt it makes to like recreate a time period that very poorly. It, I, it honestly didn't work very well. And also, what the fuck is with the goddamn aspect ratio? This isn't like we didn't have that aspect ratio in in the nineties. We had it in the Wizard of Oz years. Get the fuck over yourself. Whatever. Jo- yeah, Jonah Hill did not do so any favors in my book of like now I'm like, oh you're pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> He's a dick. Um, I'm done with him. Like that movie was so stupid, I it pissed me off. Um But I wanna move past it, because uh, I wanna get some two better movies. Um uh one of them is an, one I haven't seen, um, but you have seen. And maybe the only like positive movie we're gonna talk about in a queer sense <laughs> today uh, is uh it's very very queer Episode going on here. I, apparently, it's just been the the weeks for for queer movies to come out, um, and that is "Can You Ever Forgive Me" with um, Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Yes, um, this is a movie for those who don't know about Lee Israel, who is a famous biographer of old school Hollywood stars and vaudeville comedians. And um, in the late eighties, early nineties, she started really struggling to pay her bills, and um, there was just no like. The marketplace was shifting, and what she was known for was no longer selling. So she started um, forging notes from fam- the famous subjects she studied, and selling them for incredibly high prices. And eventually, they got her into legal trouble. And the movie kind of chronicles the rise and fall of her weird forging business. Mm-hmm. And um, it is kind of an amazing movie. I think that was really not not. I thought missold in the trailer, but given this really just like blase trailer, and then the movie is this really interesting and surprisingly dark and sad film about um, this very lonely woman, and it it's it is a queer film, which also I do not believe is in the trailer at all. But I mean, like if you look up Leah's real life, you know she was a lesbian. Yeah. But um, like it touches on these subjects very sensitively and very subtly because it's not the main point of the film about like 
queer isolation, which is just this idea that, like, the defense mechanisms you put up to be in the closet once you're out of the closet are still there on some regard and make it very hard to build relationships. Hmm. And, um, like, especially that whole phenomenon, like, mixed with post-AIDS epidemic New York makes this really just powerfully quiet movie about what it's what it must have been like to be LGBT in the in that particular period of time and trying to find your place in society, trying to find like a meaningful relationship. And um, it's just like, it's really, it's a really stunning movie. Like I was so impressed on all the levels it worked at. It's a really nice movie about the literary industry. It's a really nice movie about like weird crimes that you don't quite, like I knew nothing about the forging industry and how like intense they are with those laws and it, that's really fascinating and yeah like I was so impressed by it. it's very entertaining it's like I think it's sort of movie that um, will do very well as it expands wider and especially amongst like older filmgoers because it's that sort of like old yeah. school adult movie that they just don't make that much anymore it's quiet it's interesting it's the kind of um, movie I would go up to the Upper East Side to see and I'd be the youngest person in there by four decades oh yeah I was by far the youngest person and the very nice older man next to me offered me a cough drop when <laughs> I sat down, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" But um, no, nah, it's and Melissa McCarthy. I'm a really big fan of Melissa McCarthy. Actually, I think she is someone who has a lot of misogynistic ill will towards her. Yes. Um, Boy, is that true? Just look at our site. <laughs> yeah, subtweet. <laughs> but um, you know, like. I think she's fantastic in Bridesmaid, which is, I think, I think a genuine masterpiece. Yeah. And um, I also really love Spy. And um, But this is just, like, the sort of thing that even I, as a fan of hers, didn't think she was capable of. It's a really nice, subtle performance. She does not do in any way her usual shtick. It's, like, it's barely even a comedy. Like, I know it's being sold as one, but I feel like any joke in it is in the trailer. And um, the rest of it is just this kind of, like, bittersweet dramedy. Yeah. Um, and then Richard E. Grant's getting a lot of buzz in supporting actor. I think he's definitely going to be nominated. But um, he's he's wonderful, too. I really do think it's sort of, for me, it was sort of Melissa McCarthy's show. I was more interested in what she was doing subtly than what he was doing with this very loud supporting character. Yeah. But he is, he is very good. That is and, the kind of thing that gets, like, supporting Oscar attention, though, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely think he'll be nominated. And I think there is a road for her to be nominated on. Especially since I think it's going to play very well to older members of the Academy. But, yeah. um... Yeah. No, it's, it's... I really like it. I strongly recommend checking it out. Um, it's just, like, it's the sort of film that doesn't get much attention during Oscar because it is so quiet, but it's, like, just as powerful as most of the loud movies I've seen this year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can't wait to see it. I really wanted to see it yesterday, but it just didn't work out. Um, but it... I've only heard good, good things, and... and like pleasant surprise so I'm really excited to see it and I do hope like it gets some attention because you're totally right like it's definitely the kind of thing that um an Oscar audience would look at or like the older Oscar audience would look at and be like this is filmmaking you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's really impressive and this director Ma- Mariel oh, um Heller I think her last name she did yeah yeah diary uh, um of a teenage girl two or three years ago oh which... that was so good yeah, like, it, it, that one didn't... I, I saw that too late in the game where, like, the oh. hype already set in, and I, I was like, oh, it was good, and I didn't really, like, 
jump on the bandwagon, but I was impressed by it. And now she's doing the Mr. Rogers film with Tom Hanks for next year. And I'm like, I'm interested to see where she goes from here. Oh, I hope that's good, but I, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary at all, but yeah. it'll be it'll be like nice, I think. And the script's by Nicole Hollifsner? Ho- yeah, Hollifsner, yeah. Yeah, who did Enough Set, which I really love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and now we're going to talk about the, the movie we've really been building all year to talk about, uh, Suspiria. Um, I didn't write the review on the site, um, uh, Sean did, um, and, but I did write, like, 2,500 words about, <laughs> about the movie. It's like a full-on feature spoiler situation where I just worked out some things about life, you know, uh, in, about Suspiria. But I also did some textual analysis. It's a weird thing, but um, go ahead and read it if you want to, people. Uh, it's about uh, the way the movie deals with female rage. Um, and you, I saw it weeks and weeks ago, and then I saw it recently again with a friend who I told it about and who possibly because of the what I told her about it felt exactly the same as same way as I did um but you like just saw it so I'd like to hear what you thought about it Matt literally I just got home from the theater <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I I really really loved it mm. in, in a way that I didn't expect to love it yep. like it is just this um like this is this is not a good review of it but it's the first thing that popped in my head while leaving the theater was like it's kind of like what I want American Horror Story to be, and it's 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 this uses a horror movie lens to tell a very political story, mm-hmm. and um, and then as a fan of the original film um, from the seventies by Dario Argento, um, like the original Suspiria is this weird case of a movie that is not good in any sense of the word, mm-hmm. but has so many wildly original ideas that it's like strangely hypnotic and very very watchable and it's, this it's movie, scary despite itself the original is the way I talk about it it's like how did we think of it like what a scary concept yeah and then this film takes those concepts and not only makes them genuinely creepy but also adds so much to them like just what what Luca what Guadagnino does in this film is like is impressive because he's telling a political fable he's also building an entire universe and mythology very yeah. well like there's, there's never a scene where a character sits down and is like now I'm going to explain everything to you yeah yeah. and it just and like for a movie that's two and a half hours I was so it like captivated by it all yeah. that I wanted to watch it again immediately afterwards it's deeply immersive I mean uh, that's the thing I, I think is so interesting or what, what makes it work so well is that like if you go on, um, like a, uh, if you go to a theater and see it, the sound work is so complex and like doing so much that like you are in the film that it is, like it's you're in the film the film's mood as it were, like it's creating something I feel is like primal almost in the way it's making you react because it's heightening sounds that are usually not, um, not noticeable. Like the way people move across, like the shuffling of people moving across the room. Like the, the scene I point to is the big dance sequence that everybody talks about. Like, um, not actually not the really violent one, (laughs) the one where, um, Dakota Johnson's character, Susie is, um, auditioning for the dance company for the first time. And the way she's casting a spell on everyone by, 
And the way they do that with the audience is to, to like, make us hear every shuffle of her clothing. Like, when she takes off her shirt, you can um, hear that fabric so loud. And, like, the way her feet shuffle across the ground, so loud. And her breathing is, like, giving us the rhythm where that music usually would. Um, but the whole movie is, is sound, the soundscape is like that. It's much, it's a, in the same way that Mother was last year, but like a slightly less abrasive, just like a lower to- bit of abrasiveness, ab- abrasiveness. Like it's not constant, it is constant, but it's a lower sort of like primal, low, low bass kind of stuff that like is making, essentially the way I see it is like, it's putting you into this like predator prey response where you're your prey and you're like constantly waiting for something horrible to happen and the few times something horrible happens in the movie it just ramps up your tension all the way up until the end and then the ending releases all that tension in a shocking way that's like actually cathartic um but yeah like i don't know it's crazy it's a crazy thing um but i'm glad you got to see it honestly finally it's like a, it's just such a fascinating film. I I really avoided plot details, yeah. but I had heard how political it was in passing, yeah. and it's so interesting because on one level it is about that particular period in Berlin with the Berlin Wall yeah. and like post World War II um, tension, but like it's so about what's going on in our country today. I think, yeah. and I don't know how much of that is intentional and how much of it is like projecting in a, in a strange way, but yeah. it's like the last 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever is like so well done. Yeah. I mean, it like, it's weird. It's like the one, like the one really weird moment in the film, because I thought for most of it that it was like, I tweeted this after leaving the theater. I don't think this movie is nearly as weird as it's being sold as by some people. Yeah. Like that last 20 minutes is definitely very shocking and crazy. Yeah. Uh, it earns it, I think. But it also is, I, I, I would argue, the, the least scary thing about it. Like, but my friend who I saw it with the second time, she is not great at horror films, but had, like, heard me rave about it, and I was like, trust me on this. And I, like, said to her right beforehand, I was like, this last stuff is weird, but go with it. And then she was pretty terrified before that scene starts. And the whole audience is. Like, it, the the film builds in this way to make you so ready, like so emotionally <laughs> stressed out for that last scene that you're like, what? I don't know what the fuck is happening, but like it turns it on its head, and I we're just gonna spoil it at this point, I think, sort of, like you it, know, it, not completely, but like it's hard to spoil it because it's like if we went into the plot, it wouldn't sound believable. Yeah, so like instead of like it becoming this this violent bloodbath that bec- that is fitting with the rest of it, it becomes something different and it's about it's more about like converting that rage and like um what we thought was evil into some into like a a release of 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 goodness instead in a weird way like uh, it's mother superiorum is both like like justice executioner and and sort of like um like mother nature sort of redemptive um and like I mentioned this in my essay of like I what I don't know if I'm ready for that in the real world right now, but boy, isn't that nice to watch on a film? Um, but I, I think what you were saying about the political stuff, I, I I think you're right about it being you can read into it whatever you want because for me I didn't actually see the movie playing with the post World War Two stuff and the RAF stuff in any concrete way. It felt very surface to me. What it all feels like is stuff 
now. Like, honestly, like, all of that stuff is really just there to indicate, like, to stand in for what's happening now. Like, none of it is actually, he's not, I don't, I don't think Guadagnino is actually at all working with, um, like, post-World War II stuff. I, like, that's the simple, like, for me that seemed like, that should be the obvious thing, but I don't think he's actually doing it. I think he's totally talking about today, through that lens, but just using yeah. that milieu. It's interesting that in a key scene that I won't go into detail with, um, one of the female characters is told by a woman, like, oh, like, I'm going to butcher the line, but it's something to the effect of, like, you didn't, like, you never believe women when they're crying for help. It's just you, you labeled it hysterical or something like that. And that was definitely a way of tying in that male character's backstory and bringing it into the modern day. Because, like, yeah. with that character, the entire two hours before the last act, I was like, what is his point in all of this? And I had seen a lot of takes out of context saying like, the movie would be better without that without that character in it. And then it, with that line... That makes no the, fucking sense. <laughs> no, I know. I, I have to say, I try to be open-minded with people who disagree with movies that I really, really love. Yeah. But most of the takes I've seen about this movie, I think, are hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are wanted a different movie than what they were given. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, like, I really loved how when they find, like, that line, and then... The, the final monologue given by Dakota Johnson in the last, um, second to last scene is like where I saw what was going on with him, what was going on with post-World War II tension mm-hmm. and bringing like a direct connection to today. And I yeah. thought that was very powerful. Yeah. That last monologue, I think, is like, like brought a tear to my eye and I'm like... Ooh, she is so good in that scene. Shit. No, I, exactly. I, I, Dakota Johnson, we, we have sung her phrases so much, but yeah. like... I have, like this is one of the movies that just proves how good she is. I think because it's like she plays very much to her own sensibilities in the first two hours mm-hmm. of like she's so modern and naturalistic and like her responses to everything, whether it be Fifty Shades of Grey or like Spirit, is always so natural. Yeah, and then the well, it's it's very girlish like, and ingenue, and it's like she's it's fascinating because she's at the beginning she's so like what you'd expect from the kind of roles that her mom used to have to play of just the sort of like beautiful girl who's like just sort of like with that with that high voice and like so ingenue type and then the 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 movie is this this slow conversion of being like no she's not an ingenue she is she's actually she's fucking like mother nature man she's like she's something so ancient and and like knowing and wise and all ultimately benevolent benevolent and that it's like it's like, and the way that she can switch, play all of that so deftly is so impressive. Yeah, no, it's it's so interesting. Like you said, like I think that's a really good call. That she's very like ingenuity, but there's mm-hmm. like this like darkness to it where you're like, yeah. it's like very much playing on that whole trope. And then also, it really reminds me of doing like a dark twist on what um, the original action, the first film, yeah. was doing. Like it's like this, it's this really like it's so. Layered and so clever. And then, um, should we talk about Tilda? Yeah, um, I will say that one last thing that I wanted to, to say about like the, what it's doing there is that the difference between, and I say this in the essay, is like the difference between the first and the second is that the first one views female power as evil and the second one views female power as something ultimately freeing. Like, it's, it's working from different premises and because of those different premises, both movies are completely different. Yeah, they really have nothing in common except that they have the same name. Right. I mean, they even, like, change the spelling of Susie's name to make it more like Suspiriorum. Like, get it get it together, people. Like, there's completely different things. Again, because they're working completely different premises. 
Um, but yeah, Tilda is great in all three roles that she plays. Um, yeah, she's I mean, she's it's great. Funny, at, like, is it a spoiler to say who she like one of her parts that she's playing? Um, no, I think you can know who she's playing honestly without because realistically it doesn't matter. Like so much crazy shit happens in the, those that last those last two chapters or whatever that like no I don't think it I don't think you could ever guess you know no yeah it's like the fact that she's playing like the only significant male character in the film yeah it basically they, they try their hardest to not reveal it but yeah. um it's funny because like in many ways I think the voice she's doing as that male character gives away that it's Tilda oh yeah but, oh my god yeah but like physically it's incredible what she's doing yeah. I mean like she totally disappears to the part and then in her main part as Madame Blank, like, what a good, campy performance. <laughs> so good. She's, it is so much fun to watch her yeah. just talk. Yeah. That um, scene where her and Dakota are eating chicken together and it's, like, bizarrely flirtatious, but also, like, sort of, it's it just, like, clearly almost comedic. Like, they're, they're playing just at the edge of camp on that scene and they're both doing such like incredible work in it like to keep it from going insane and like making people laugh and like like completely releasing the tension out of the film like it's so much fun no yeah my brother i saw this film with my brother who's a big fan of the original as well and he's really into horror really into camp and Mm -hmm. we were having this whole conversation on the car ride home about how like it's such a shame that modern audiences associate camp with like bad quality yeah because People, like, were laughing in the theater at those moments. Yeah. And I'm like, she's so... It's, like, so impressive what she's doing. It's, yeah. like, there is an art to camp. And yeah. it's, like, she knows exactly what to do for it. Yeah. And I, but I do think that's, like, built in as a as a release of tension, that, that, that part. Because if it were really as, like, fully tense as it is for two and a half hours, I think people would be passing out in the yeah. in the theater. Because it's such, it's such an intense, intense viewing experience. And I love it. And I hope... I, I would love if it got some, like, awards tension, but I don't think it will because based on the way people react were reacting after my press screening and the reviews that all of those people eventually wrote, like, a lot of it is just, like, um, just, like, dude, dude bro shit. Just, uh, honestly, like, not to keep harping on the thing, but, like, it's, it's frustrating that, like, a, a movie that is so clearly about female stories to the point that the only major male character is played by a woman in makeup is so like so much about female power and rage and like reacting to a a, a, pol- a hostile political environment environment is so easily dismissed by cultural critics who should know better is so frustrating and i like i read a review i won't call out call it out but it wasn't on our site um that was so like dismissive of it being like it definitely doesn't live up to the original like da, 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 da. like bro it's not supposed to and maybe if you understood what the fuck was going on you would realize that like any th- comparison between the two is unfavorable to the original because all it reveals is how generic that fucking story is this idea of like witches which is women and women with power can only be evil and any any female autonomy is evil. That's all this is. Like I cannot people believe people aren't getting it. And it's frustrating to think that like we've had like a year and a half of work and trying to rethink things and people can still just get it like just have missed all of it. No, yeah, it's like I feel like there's such like a, an apprehension in, in any way approaching a film from a 
feminist standpoint when it's like so genre-y and it's yeah. like it's just dismissed as like oh like it's silly yeah and it's funny like when i saw the film today i went to the um restroom afterward and the guy next to me like, went to the urinal next to me and we, we had both been experienced together and he just like turned to me and he was like he's like i'd rather put my nuts in a blender than watch that movie again yeah and i'm like that is a very telling yeah <laughs> right like if it made him uncomfortable it's because he's an asshole you, you, like that's honestly the way I, I the only way i can read it at this point and like again people you can read my essay it's it's all in there uh, like if if it's making you uncomfortable about what it's saying and you find it so abrasive, then maybe you should be questioning yourself a little more because I, I can't keep we can't keep asking you to do the self reflection here, man. It's just and the way it in is. In terms of filmmaking, like yeah, it's just so interesting, like like telling to me that people dismiss what he's doing because yeah. there are moments that very much, in a way that I think pays tribute to the original, like is campy yeah. and like there's like the the zoom ins of people's faces and like the. Yeah like, weird editing as people, like, show up into rooms and everything like that. And, um, but, what, like... But it all serves story. It's so fucking stupid. Like... Right, it all serves story. And then, on top of that, it's, like, there are several scenes that call to mind, like, people like Kubrick or whatever. And yeah. it's, like, it's, like, those directors are seen as, like, these pedestals. And sometimes deservedly so. But it's, like, whenever a film does something similar, but it's also trying to do something different that is not viewed as, like, canonically good filmmaking. Yeah. It's, like, thrown away, thrown Which, out. But that's insane because it is all canonically good filmmaking. If Again, if you, you're not seeing this film with its incredible editing choices and mm. brilliant sound work as good filmmaking, you're, you're an idiot. Like, an actual idiot. Like, there's... The filmmaking itself, even if you didn't like anything it was saying, is impeccable, especially when you compare it to the first one. Yeah, and one quick thing that you mentioned about Oscar chances, I do think this will probably get nominated in makeup. Like, yeah, oh, that's true. Pro- probably it's one chance, maybe score if they're feeling like creative that day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There are time. The first time I saw it, I thought the score didn't work, and then the second time I was okay with it. I really he makes some bold choices. Like he, the, um, he should never be singing on the soundtrack, and that's a fact. Except for one scene, and it's you know, like, I, I do. The there there whenever he sings I'm like oh stop it's completely <laughs> distancing and it's like it's it again <laughs> this is a movie about women guys just give us like one you know what I mean just give us one fucking movie that's like all our own thing you don't have to sing you're Tom York you have everywhere else to sing like just give us our well you know wells for sensitive boys here <laughs> just leave it alone everything else is for you this this is for us just leave it alone. You don't have to sing on the soundtrack, bro. Or if you're gonna, if there's gonna be singing, hire a woman. They're plen- They're fifty percent of the population. I'm curious, without getting into spoilers, which scene, the beginning or the end, did you think the lyrics worked? Oh, uh, the end actually. Well, initially I didn't think it worked, and then the second time, it does. It like it actually works for me as a sort of like, um, cherubicness, if you yeah. Will. I agree with you. The, yeah. the opening credits do not work at all with him singing. No, I, they worked better the second time because I knew it was coming. But like the first time, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. Definitely the the big the big, you know, uh, yeah. bloody bloody baptism by fire thing. Um. We have recorded for an hour, but I feel like we can spend like fifteen minutes on Jennifer Garner. She's given us so much. She has. <laughs> she, she tries our patience, but she gives. She, she really gives does. Us so much. 
Um, but what I'm talking about is uh, last time I was sort of mentioned that I, I would love to, once this is, uh, we're going to start running out of Oscar movies eventually, not anytime soon, but there's an actress who I, I wish I want so much more from, uh, and it's Jennifer Garner. And like, as a person, I wish she could figure out how to regain the sort of slow prestige build that she had at the beginning of her career and just re-jump it, re, re, restart that now. Because she needs a Kidman, a Kidman-esque reconnaissance, or uh, <laughs> like reconnaissance, I was going to say, like renaissance, where she right now is doing some of the worst f- films possible. She's in Peppermint, which was not good and was kind of racist, but she's really good in it. Um, and she's in Camping, which you you did not like. Um, and I'd love to hear why you didn't like it, but... I feel I, basically I just want to have a conversation about like what can Jennifer Garner do to become an Oscar winning like higher level A list person because she's A list right now in the sense that everybody knows her and likes her but I want her to do work that is worthy of that like fame. Yeah, you know it's like my my main takeaway is that I think she should do some comedies because um, like I first became interested in, in Jennifer Garner because of Thirteen Going on Thirty, which was like a transformative film for me when I was um, nine when that film came out I think oh wow and like I that I think I watched that movie about 30 times it is it is one of the great rom-coms that we have it honestly. is so good I will cancel plans to watch it <laughs> a phenomenal movie um, and she's so good in it and like it's, it's such a good comedic, comedic performance and then it's funny because like you said she's on camping now mm-hmm. which I was excited for um, because right because it is a comedic performance technically yeah, and I'm also a really big fan of girls, so um, I'm excited to see what Lena Dunham does, even though she tries, not, tries my patience. But, um, like, I was interested in seeing what she did as her follow-up, and to, to a degree, I guess Jennifer Garner is the one thing that kind of works on the show, but, like, it is such a poorly written show where yeah. um, Lena Dunham just decided to make all of her characters incredibly unlikable, but not in the way that girls is where it's like, they're unlikable, but you're like, Oh, I, I kind of am like that sometimes. It's like here, it's like they're unlikable and you truly don't know anybody in real life that's like them. And if you did, you would think they were like sociopaths and Jennifer Garner. It's like, she's funny. Like she's like, she's bringing some level of comedic talent there, but it is just, it is 30 minutes of just like nails on a chalkboard, like hating everybody on screen and with no purpose, no greater meaning, like there's nothing deep going on underneath the surface, and I'm just like, I, I did not even tune in for a second episode. It's one of the few times I gave up on a show. Wow, like, an episode in. <laughs> That's brutal, um, and it's such a waste of of talent because it's got Jennifer Garner and David Tennant and Juliette Lewis and um, like so fucking many good people, um, and like I don't, I don't understand. And Bridget Everett isn't it even? Who's like a great comedian, and like. Mm-hmm phenomenal she's not in a ton obviously but she's in like half the trailers for whatever reason so like but still it's it's so frustrating that like that this keeps happening to jennifer garner of like she's the best thing in in a mediocre to bad project and i don't understand like how does she get out of this like how how do we save her from this this nightmare like i i feel like the thing i want to see her in isn't quite so much like, I've, I first met her through Alias, which was b- basically the defining television show of my, my lifetime, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
and like she's so she has to be versatile in that because like Sydney is every 10 minutes like putting on a wig and like <laughs> speaking a language and doing something absurd which like is a, is ridiculous now because if that woman were a spy like she'd be the worst spy in, in history because she's deeply noticeable at all moments of the day um like all the things i know from that show are like bright red hair yeah it, it honestly it is a it, it is a great show but honestly like it has a lot of problems but no it's a great show and she's excellent in it and it does fail miserably in its final season, I would say, but I, we can't get into that now. I, this is <laughs> that, that'll take 20, 20, 20 minutes per season at least. Um, but yeah, like she has to be versatile in that and was so good on that and got to do these like big dramatic things and like she works. Faye Dunaway is guests on an episode at one point, like. Other actors I want to see more of. Oh, yeah. We all do. But she's apparently a nightmare. She, like, slaps people and, like, service people at, at restaurants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she also says she's being haunted by Joan Collins' ghosts. Yeah. So, like, oh, I, I and I can't, I can't guarantee that that's not true, but I just don't think it's true. Um, but, like, Jennifer Garner is so interesting. And she's she's been in or near a lot of good shit. Like... You know, she's really good in Juno, and she's really great in 13 going on 30. So, like, I don't quite know what I want to see from her. I feel like I want to see something that's, like, absurd in a way. Like, I can't... I'm trying to think of, like, what was the moment that... Oh, I know what it was. Paddington. Nicole Kidman, for me, like, her real... Like, the moment she got back in My Good Graces was as the villain in Paddington, which is one of the funniest performances I've, I've seen, like, from anyone. Because it's so unhinged and completely, like, non-glamorous in a way where she's just playing a, a villain in a, in, a, in a kid's movie. Like, what is ostensibly a, a kid's movie, but is honestly just a great film. Um, and, like, it's weird, and it's not something we hadn't, we've seen from her before. So, like, I don't know what that is for Jennifer Garner necessarily, because we've seen a lot from her. Like... She's done the action stuff. She's done the rom-com stuff. She's been, like, a crazy mother type. And she's been cra- playing... Honestly, she's been playing crazy mother types for a couple of years now. But I don't know. I'd like to see her, like... I, what she needs is something, like, crazy like that or um, really gritty and un unglamorous in a way that, like, Wild was for Reese Witherspoon. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that'd be great. I would love to see her do something like that. That's what I want is something, like... Like a hardcore drama that is like, you know, where she gets to be sort of uh, messy and interesting and like maybe a little prickly, but also like likable at the same time. And I don't I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> like she already I mean, she already actually did a movie with John Mark Valet. That's Dallas Buyers Club, which is a like was a problem then and has only gotten worse in as time has gone on. Do you know? She's not given much to do in that film. She has almost nothing to do in it, which is almost a good thing, honestly. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know what to give her, to make her, to, like, give her the sort of, like, to push her into that Kidman Witherspoon echelon, you know? It's sad because the nature of the industry, it's like, I think she needs a TV comeback yeah. to climb her way back into film. Yeah. Even though at this point, I mean, this could be a whole other episode, like, the line's blurring in, like, what is, like, seen as the, the true top medium. But, yeah, um, yeah, it's tough. But like, you know, she needs a TV comeback, and in many ways, camping could have been that, but it's it's very much not. Yeah. And uh, I I hope she gets it because I think did, did you see Love Simon? Like she was good in that. And, she's like, good in that too. Shit, yeah, she's got that great scene in it. 
Yeah, it, the, like the high school equivalent of calling by her name speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's and the thing is, she's never been totally embarrassing. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, she's never been bad. The yeah. the closest it's come is um I saw her in um oh on Broadway years ago when she did uh Cyrano de Bergerac and it was a little it was like a little um desperate honestly but like she wasn't awful realistically. I didn't know she was on Broadway ever. I would have. Oh please, I I bought tickets the second I could. Um, and it's fine. She was fine in it, just but it was like. She was clearly so nervous, and I, actually, I feel like that uh, sometimes in her. Well, like not not nervous, but like desperate to. I, I, I don't mean desperate in the worst way, but it does sound that bad. But like desperate to like make it work, you know. Um, and sometimes I feel that way, and like she'll be in, she'll be doing a um, like an interview somewhere with like Fallon, for instance, or something, and it's like the energy is so high that it's like. But it's because she's been out of the game for so long, in a way. Like, yeah, I feel like it's like she had her very brief moment in like the mid two thousands when Elias just ended. Yep. She got thirteen going on thirty, and then I actually and I feel terrible, like completely forgot she was in Juno. Mm-hmm. And I think that her performance in Juno is like one of the worst snubs in Academy history. That she did not yeah. get a supporting actress nomination. She's so good in that, and like right after that movie, it felt like it, there's only it's only going up for her. But then it did not happen, partially because she got married to Ben, my my most problematic fave, um, and like you know had a couple of kids and and sort of stepped back for a bit to raise those kids, which is fine. I don't you know no shade on that, but like it definitely stopped a momentum that I think she's definitely trying to get back but i don't know i don't know i don't know how i don't know how but i think but i do think you're right television is probably the way to go yeah because they just don't make narratives in film for like women over 40 which is insane yeah but like it's just like it's why we have these great actresses like regina hall um judy greer um jennifer garner and probably like 10 of those i can't think of off the top of my head Mm -hmm. who like are so 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 good but if they either have to be in a Sundance favorite or a TV show to have anything remotely close to like a comeback yeah yeah and like I don't know like there are other women who are going to get that that Sundance thing so you're right it's got to be some sort of like comedy or like prestige even a prestige drama that would like push her in a weird direction like I don't know who that person could be like it, it John Mark Vallee seems like exactly the person that sh- that should be she should be working with like again it's almost strange that she wasn't in Big Little Lies season mm. one and probably and isn't going to be in the second season like that's exactly the kind of thing she should be doing because like she's already got this her persona is such like that her her brand is a, a lot built around this sort of like um, aggressively successful motherhood of of her persona do you know what I mean like yeah, that's why she's the Neutrogena girl. Camping. Yeah, yeah, you're right, that's exactly. Right. right. Like and that's smart that she's playing with that in some way in that show, but like it's nobody's gonna notice because that show's bad. No, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. I don't know. It's oh, the autopsy on her career is so deeply upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I I her her career is of endless fascination to me because I just keep rooting for it. And honestly I've seen most of her IMDB page, even stuff like in the interim years that has come out, like I saw Draft Day, you know, <laughs> like no. Oh boy, I I couldn't even bring myself to that one. I was like, 
I love you, Jen, but I don't love football. It's actually quite enjoyable. I kind of enjoy football. Like, well, I don't... I like sports, and I like sports movies, so, you know, I, I, it was, like, a, at a weird nexus for me of, like, all right, this is acceptable for the following reasons only and usually would not be acceptable. Um, but, like, she was in... Um, like, she's been doing good work all that time. Like, Danny Collins, which no one saw, was is actually a legitimately really good movie. That, like... It looked cute. It looked like a good movie. It's, it's really good. It's I think it's still streaming on Amazon. And I remember seeing it. I'd heard some good things about it. Um, and then I watched it. And I was like, um, what the hell? Why didn't this get any, like, Oscars attention or any shit like that? Like, it's so good. I, I don't understand why nobody paid attention to it. And she's also in... Um Oh, what is it? Men, women, and children. Yeah. Which is a garbage film. Yeah, I haven't seen it because I heard it was so bad. That's that's like one of a handful I haven't seen. It is an awful film. Don't watch it. But she's the best part of it, and um, the only person who tries remotely to work with what that they're given. Yeah. That is a garbage movie. That don't watch. <laughs> that's the thing I admire about her, and that why I don't understand why she isn't like getting more interesting work is that like she rolls with whatever she is given and often elevates whatever she's given, like, in, in the most impressive way possible. Like, and maybe that's because of the alias thing of, like, she had to play, like, different different people all the time with different wigs and, like, different accents or different, like, literally in a different language every episode, sometimes multiple times. Like, there's obvious versatility there and, like, also the ability to sell the shit out of whatever she's given. Like, so much of this stuff shouldn't work. Like... Um, like Juno shouldn't work as well as it does. Like, and in an, in a lesser actress's hands, you would not ever buy the that character's arc of like being sort of prickly and annoying to becoming like someone you totally are rooting for. Um, and she has to do this shit all the time. But like, I don't know why it's not translating into someone being like, you know what, we should use that in a lead setting and make her the lead of our film, and then like. Put, like, put that car out on the road and see what it can do, you know? <laughs> I, it's a shame. It's so sad. Yeah. What, what, who is a filmmaker, to close this out, I guess, Yeah. Um, a filmmaker you most want to see her work with? I mean, at this point, it's like, I, I almost can't say anybody but Guadagnino. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, because it, it would be completely unexpected, and it might mean that her and Dakota would get in a room together, and really, that's what I want, is for the, is for, like, I just want like someone to be worthy of, of, of Jen's time and like something interesting. I don't care what it is, even like put her as, <laughs> like I don't know something in Call Me by Your Name too. I don't give a shit. Like put her in there. I don't care what it is. Um, that movie, Call Me by Your Name too is becoming like <laughs> the the cinematic equivalent of like the gift I'm giving the gays everything they want. Yeah. Like, I swear to God, I. Audibly gasped when Dakota Johnson was like unofficially casting it. Like it was like that's all I want. I was watching to like reflect on that news. Yeah, I mean, and the reason I say that too is because she's done such great work with Guadagnino, and like he has helped her create a different persona. Like the first, like I'd always liked her. Obviously, there's long-standing history of that, but like her role in um, a bigger splash. With, like, against Tilda and Ray Fiennes and, and Matthew Sch- Mat- Matthias Schoenarts was, like, she was so good in that movie and such a surprise. And basically playing a character arc not unlike the one in Suspiria 
where she starts as an ingenue and then ter- it slowly reveals herself to be something else, but she's ultimately a little more benevolent in this, uh, in Suspiria. Um, and, like, that's the kind of thing Jen needs, is to have, like, some sort of, like, someone to play with her persona in a way that's interesting so that she can slowly convert it into something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good call. Yeah. I wouldn't even mind, like, um, Drew Goddard, like, who just did good work with Dakota. I mean, I don't mean to keep, like, bringing up Dakota references, but, like, she works a lot. Um, like, and Goddard worked on Alias for a number of years, so they know each other. It would be nice to, like, have him write something interesting, like, like he did with Bad Times, and then give it to Jen, you know? Well, it's like, why has it? Like, yeah, yeah. We all him out. Yeah, like Peter Berg did it. He was on two episodes of Alias or whatever. Like, wh- what's this guy? What's Drew Goddard's problem? <laughs> and not, not not that I love Peter Berg, but like you know, come on, he 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 understood. He did. Huh? Like, I don't know. It, it's that that's a very good call, Vanino and um, Goddard. I would really really like to see her with. And we're talking about directors that we talked about already in the episode, which is totally a coincidence. But I think um, Mariel Heller, who mm-hmm. did um, um, Can You Ever Forgive Me, or Nicole Hall- Hoffner, um, who did, who wrote Can You Ever Forgive Me and directed Enough Said. Like, I think that sensibility of, like, pleasant, like, suburban comedy yeah. is um, really something she could do up her alley, especially if it has a hint of, like, a dark side to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, like, 13 Million 30 is a really good example. It's not a dark film at, at all. No. But um, it's a really good example of, like, taking a... So Jen taking a, um, like, a comedic performance and, like, making it light and fun, but, like, with a twist. And, yeah. I mean, in 13 Million 30's case, it was, like, she's just overbearingly optimistic and um, childlike. And yeah. then this... And, like, something else I could see her playing with that image of being, like, a weird suburban mom from hell or, like, something like that. Yeah, like, it's exactly the kind of... That's a really good idea as well of, like, this sort of just, like, low-key comedy type thing where that's also very, like, bizarrely realistic. Like, that would be wonderful because it would give her, like, such an easy way to play with things she already has before and then, like, really just take it in a different direction. Which, again, I'm sure was the point of camping, but obviously didn't work out. So what we're saying, Jen, if you're listening, call up these directors <laughs> and get in one of their films. Also, call me up. I'm a big fan. I'd really love to, to, to an interview or something. <laughs> Give me Mark Ruffalo's number. What I'm saying, I have to talk to him about how Thirteen Going on Thirty gave me unrealistic expectations for boys, yep. and then we can we can talk about all that. Yeah. To be clear, she. I if I had to save one in a fire, I'd save her, not Ben Affleck. I love Ben Affleck. There's a long history of me talking about Ben on the site, but Jen. Jen is my ultimate queen. Sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. But in the divorce, <laughs> Jen gets me. <laughs> there we go. What a, what a good note to end. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we reviewed four major movies. Killed Ben Affleck. <laughs> and Spick Center for Garner's career. Yeah. Congratulations, everyone. We did it. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear more about um, really just me obsessing about uh, possibly Jennifer Garner or I- I'm done watching Smash, everyone. You can come back now. Um, <laughs> uh, I those tweets, by the way. That was like a... It was like having Twitter in 2008 all of a sudden. Isn't it a journey? I mean, I was also reading recaps at the same time because... 
I, listen, I think I love to write reviews and recaps and stuff, but the greatest recaps in history have already been written um, by Rachel Schuchert about Smash um, during that time period. They are absolute 2,000-word masterpieces, every single one of them. Um, it's incredible. She nicknames everyone. The, there's, <laughs> the, she, she makes a, 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 a nickname for Karen Cartwright every time she comes on, and my favorite one is, you know, Karen Cartwright, that, that goldfish... Or wouldn't it be nice to be Karen Cartwright swimming around in your... A goldfish swimming around in your bowl and saying, like, Oh, a castle. Swimming around again being like, Oh, a castle. And just, like, <laughs> seeing the castle over and over again because goldfish forget things. It's so beautiful. Like, it's incredible writing. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I'm done watching Smash. I'm watching Chilling Set Adventures of Sabrina right now. By the time this goes up, I'll probably have the review up for the finale. We're doing um, a different person is doing a a, a a recap for each episode of the season. Um, you've got two coming up, right, Matt? Yes, I have two coming up. Um, and the so they'll they'll probably be up by the time this comes out. Yeah. Um, and I'm at at Marissa Carpico on Twitter, and you are Matt, not Matthew one. Matt, I'm Matthew one. Um, and you can find us both on the site. I don't think I have any um movie stuff coming up. Uh, you don't either, actually, right? Um, I don't know if it'll be up by the time this this gets posted, but I'll be reviewing the favorite in a couple of weeks, oh, and right. um, um, something about Fantastic Beasts where to find them. Not a review, but an uh, op-ed of sorts. Yes, I'm very excited about that. It's it's gonna be. We all have a lot of feelings about Fantastic Beasts and its cast, and Matt is gonna try to synthesize them into a coherent uh, article. Yes. Oh, and I'll be reviewing The Front Runner, but yes. I forgot about that until just now, which is a really good foreshadow for what that review will be like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. I was looking at it on the thing, and I just skipped it in my head. Um, all right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Jennifer Garner, call us up. <laughs>